0: Ladies and gentlemen, your attention please.
1: Yes, I mean you. Your attention please. This
0: is the PowerShell Podcast.
2: PowerShell Podcast. It's all about PowerShell and the PowerShell community. We have with us today a man who is so much a part of the culture that he scarcely needs an introduction. And now, here's your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Claw. Hey
0: everybody, welcome to the PowerShell Podcast. I'm host Jordan Hammond. Uh, we have here today super mega star Andrew Plaw. And uh, the only way that we can compete with having Andrew here weekly is to get a guest that is just as glorious as, as Andrew is. Oh. So we brought in Daniel Silva.
1: Thank you. Wow. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> Thank you very much.
0: Absolutely. So we're, we're trying to have a guest. Uh, you've done a lot of speaking at. Uh, at conventions all across the world, as well as you've done more uh, with PowerShell outside of the Windows environment, which is a uh, interesting, interesting to approach. So, I guess, yeah. how, how did you get into a uh, speaking? I guess is the is the first question.
1: Uh, well, yeah. So it started like I think um, I always had this interest in interacting with people, um, and I noticed like back in college uh, I had interest in learning, although I have like difficulties on trying to understand things, but once I did, I like to uh, try to see, like, how other people feel about it and try to help them. So I get, that there's this teaching or try to explain things part. Uh, And the environment around me, like, especially my brother, um, who is also a super PowerShell user, (laughs) uh, got me into most of the the IT part and then PowerShell when he he started. Um, And, yeah, I think Back in the days, like it was way back, but it was not. Uh, He used to go to conference, and there was this conference here in Portugal, in Lisbon, which was uh, TugIT, where usually it brought people uh, from many backgrounds, uh, PowerShell, SQL Server, uh, C Sharp, .NET Development, things like that. So I started, like I went to as a staff, and I got motivated by uh, people speaking, and I got the opportunity to do that. And I was still back in college. So I had no 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 experience and I was hearing uh, people say like, oh, we did this in production and we built this and we done this and this is how you do this. And I was kind of fascinated because it's not the perspective you have when you are in, in college. Um, so I was like, okay, this is something I can feel like doing. Um, then I got into started blogging. Um, it got more traction than I expected. So I was expecting to write things like uh, just notes for myself mostly. Uh, but then I, when I plugged Google Analytics on it, I saw people like 30, 40, 60. Um, for those that have like huge blogs, it, it, it ain't much. But for someone starting, like, okay, there are people that have the same issues as I do. Um, and then I got started with Twitter, uh, mostly on the, on the PowerShell parts. I started with PowerShell people. So yeah, that's mostly how I got into it.
2: Like early on, who were some of those first people that you were like, oh, this, this person is like really doing their thing uh, in PowerShell?
1: Um, so yeah, we, well, it, it didn't start with PowerShell. It was more SQL. Uh, so back in the day with like, my brother, uh, Claudio. And there was also uh, Nico, uh, which also super uh, SQL uh, person. Um, what was it? OK, wait.
2: Claudio Silva <laughs> wait. is your brother. Okay. Yes. <laughs> oh, you didn't okay. Do yeah, I know who that
1: is. Okay. Yeah. DBA uh, tools.
2: He's in that circle and, yeah. and very active in SQL and stuff. Yeah,
1: we'll we'll go into that part. <laughs> we'll okay. go down that rabbit hole. Um, but yeah, uh, so he was the first person. Uh, I think one of the first or the first uh, public contributor for DBA tools back when it was only uh, Chris Limmer. So he he did the, the first public contribution, I think, or something around that. And that's when he started ta- talking to me about PowerShell. And I was like, okay, so you are a DBA. Uh, I'm not quite 100% sure, so let's keep in mind that I was still in college, so um, this whole programming language was still new. Um, I was like, I'm not sure what, how does that work, but okay. Um, and I remember that I had to do some presentation like in the last year of college as a preparation for like the, the master thesis. Um, And I had to do the presentation. I was like, okay, I'll be doing about PowerShell. Uh, It doesn't seem something that I started at school. uh, So, yeah, I did it. Um, But, yeah, back to that. Who were those first people? So, yeah, it was my brother, uh, mostly, obviously. Uh, It was also Nico um, Antonino Centino, which is also a huge um, SQL person. Um, And that's when I got, like, the bridge to also uh, PowerShell, because he did uh, uh, it wasn't a webinar, but, like, a session uh, where you would have PowerShell running on Linux and containers. So this is where I saw like, okay, so you not only you have PowerShell running on uh, on C- on Linux, uh, you can also have it running on containers, and you have like SQL running on containers as well. So it was like mind blowing. Um, but yeah, I think that those were like the major contacts. Um, then I transitioned most to a PowerShell part. And uh, when, when was this 2 IP conference, um, Rob Sewell was also here, or uh, here in Portugal. And I remember that, uh, that, that's a conversation that I'll never forget, actually, because I was doing, I was working already, and I was doing support, technical support. So I was like doing with uh, SQL, but not as much. And most of the things I was supposed to be with C Sharp, was actually looking into the UI and trying to understand the flow of things. And when I met Rob, he said, like, what, are you, what do you do? What are your uh, languages you know? And things like that. And I was like, yeah, I do technical, uh, cons- um, technical support. And he was like, yeah, it seems that it's a waste of talent. Um, I, I don't think you should be doing that for, for as long. Uh, and I was like, okay, yeah, maybe. So I think it was like six months after that, I was like, yeah, this is not something that I want to do. Uh, and I just moved into full uh development mode, wow yeah. interesting
0: when you said you you uh you started your blog, you said you're doing it basically to to self document, which is something we hear all the time yeah if, if you if you listen to the powershell community there's nothing more selfish you can do than write a blog about your experiences <laughs> everything I mean people benefit from it, but that's just incidental
1: it's, yeah. Yeah, it usually it can be something as simple as like how do i how do I store ssh keys on my uh for, to connect into some something remote uh and i found <laughs> i think that this have, actually happened like most of people that have blogs there are some times that you like you write something then a year or two passes and you just go google something and then you find your blog post like oh yeah, I did this already. <laughs> So yeah, I, I write it for myself, but I even forget that I do it for myself. So yeah.
2: That's awesome. It's, and it's also mentioned it, it felt good to have other people see it and like, wow, this is getting some traction, you know, this thing that I wrote. That's awesome. Um, yeah, Definitely cool. I, I didn't realize that Claudio is your brother. That kind yeah. of connects <laughs> a lot of dots for me and kind of blew my mind. I guess it's no surprise to see you kind of taking the your career by the reins and getting involved and doing things. And um, that's really cool to see. So you were in the tech support role for like six months, and then you moved over to more developer type stuff. Were you working with C-Sharp? Or what type of developer yeah. stuff were you doing?
1: Yeah, it was uh, C-Sharp and uh, SQL Server. Um, that's when I got connected or started with also the cloud parts, which was like Azure um, at the time. So it was the startup company, and it was really nice because we were doing something really cool. And I got responsible for uh, multiple APIs and uh, even the, the SQL server parts. So it was really nice for uh, growing. Um, but yeah, that's, that also then collided or uh, merged into like, getting started with blogging because there were issues that I was having. Um, and when, when I was there, there, we also had some project with uh, the Raspberry Pi. Um, so there was this application that was running, uh, and it was uh, .NET, and .NET Core uh, was the first uh, the, or the early versions that ran into um, the, the, the Raspberry, yeah, or running in Linux. Then we were able to run it into the Raspberry, so we had this app that we running there. And that's when I got like interested in, like, okay, this is a tiny computer, like credit card-sized computer. Um you can plug into buttons here and do things. So, what else can I do? How can I leverage, like, from this interest that I got into uh, this small credit size card, um, to get to know, like, learn more about it? And I saw—I remember that I saw something like—I uh, think it was Tyler uh, from the PowerShell team at the time—that uh, tweeted something about running PowerShell on the Raspberry, and I was like, okay, so I've heard about this PowerShell thing. I've researched something about it. There is this raspberry, so okay, let's see, let's see how how does it go. Um, so yeah, I had 100 um, percent like development part, then I had this like uh, side part hobby uh, where I got started with into the, the raspberry part with PowerShell. That's awesome.
2: I, uh, I love, and I remember it just blew my mind when I first kind of started thinking about the Raspberry Pi like that, because I'm pretty sure if you've been in IT for a while, uh, there's a decent chance that you have a Raspberry Pi. And maybe you've done some stuff with it, maybe you've set it up and used it a little bit, but you know you might have one. And if you're trying to learn PowerShell, um, I found it was super cool to set it up, get PowerShell installed on it. And then for me, I um, I would connect using VS Code and the SSH... Remote, whatever extension, and it's just so yeah. cool to think that like I could be developing on my computer and my nice little VS Code instance while I had this little tiny computer that was doing all the work for me. I felt very cool, and you could just use PowerShell to really do whatever you want.
1: Um, yeah, cool and and, it, and it's amazing to see like the advance that it had because when when the Pi, when the first Pi that I had was the Pi three, uh, which it which has like one gig of RAM. Um, and then there were some issues at first because you couldn't connect to uh, the remote SSH uh, from the VS Code into the, the Raspberry. So you, you could start, later there was, a, there was some updates that allow you to do that. But for instance, you couldn't do I, th- I think you still can't do it um, on the Pi 2 and also on the, on the weaker models, like the Pi 0 and things like that. So it, it still poses some challenges to like understand how, how can you get it working and how to set up your workflow. But there's also the interesting part about these challenges, which is uh, on a daily basis on our work, we we are bumped with the uh, issues that we have and things like that. So if you have this like this mentality where you like challenges and try to debug and solve things, um, it can bring a lot of addicts on the Raspberry Pi part, uh, especially it did like back in the days. <laughs> um, but to see it growing like. Follow that growth is, is really amazing, and the work that people do. Because um, I remember, like it wasn't possible to run PowerShell when it first uh, came out, um, and then it like within a few months you you could do it, and it it felt surprisingly fast. It was really nice.
2: Very cool. <clears throat> One little project I did with mine um, was I set it up to be just a posh bot, so it's like the chat bought for my little house discord that my wife was in. Um, but I think that you kind of liked doing the more IoT type stuff where you would turn lights on and connect things to it <laughs> and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, I think that's that was uh, sort of what put me in the spotlight, so to say. Um, because yeah, it was like I had these RGB lights, and I think I started with Raspberry, like most people do. Like okay, so uh, it has some GPIO pins. It you can connect things, you can press buttons and see things light up. Um, but what else can you do with it? So there was this um, this light strip that I had, uh, and well, without going to much details, there is this. Uh, those are in, uh, individually addressable LEDs. So what it means is that. Uh, if you send some specific um, byte information, things like that, um, you ha- you can light it up and set it to the colors that you want. And there was this underlying part. Uh, so, without taking like much uh, credit for it, the the underlying part for the partial IoT was heavily based on something called the Wiring Pi, which is a C library. So, if you think about it, it was like a C library. Wrapped in a C sharp uh, code, which then generated this uh, PowerShell module. So there was like these two or three different layers, uh, and whenever there was some kind of issue about it, you had to go look into like, okay, so this wiring part, which is a library that was made like ten or fifteen years ago, maybe, which because it was used also on other um, other microcontrollers, not only the Raspberry, even Arduino's and things like that. So. there was like this huge development um, going into it. So, yeah, but then it was something as easy as you install the PowerShell module and you do like, uh, uh, I think it was like get or set LED or pin, GPIO pin. You just put the number of the pin where it was connected to and you put in input like it's if it's high state or low state and you just pass the, the value for the color you wanted. And it was uh, when you press enter you see that light just bright up. It was like wow. <laughs> it was like this wow moment, super super nice. Like if you think about it, like something that you usually use for uh, remote uh, access to re- different computers and get the files and do f- manage file processing, uh, connect to DBA or uh, SQL instances and things like that, and then you go as low as uh, pressing enter and just turn one LED, which is something that's not even computer related anymore. It, it was really nice to like get started that way.
2: It feels really powerful when you can kind of, at least for me in my PowerShell journey, when you can go from interacting with that little box in your screen and have that code impact things in the real world. Yeah, even if it's just turning on and off a light, like that is so cool. The possibilities of of useless solutions that I can find <laughs> with that, like you know, every single time I have a meeting, I can make the light around my room, turn red. So that but people that's know that's just the start. Like
1: the start is okay. So uh, if we can do this, what else can you do? I remember like when then I was, I, I went so, so down in the rabbit hole, there was this uh, driver or this uh, lead matrix that you had from one company that's called the, the Pymaroni, where they had uh, this led matrix. I think it was like six by eight or something like it. Um, and they had this, uh, I, I went to, to read the, like, the data sheet for it, and I was checking like the bytecodes that you need to send to, to the shift registers to set it for that configuration, and I wrote a PowerShell module um, just to interact with it. So it, In the end, it seemed so simple as you like, you do something like uh, uh, write uh, um, p hat string, and then you would put the alt string that you wanted, and it will just keep on scrolling the text, but the work built down the below that was like messing with shift registers and things like that. It was so fun, but at the same time, like so daunting. But then you think like things that you do with usually like C or C plus plus and or things like that. You are doing that with PowerShell, uh, and it's although it seems so, like useless, it gave me like a huge boost to learn PowerShell and how PowerShell works and having to write like code that is fast enough uh, not to block things and things like that. Yeah. So the, the biggest thing that I guess my interest
0: in the Raspberry Pi is the home automation, just because they have all the, the pre-built things you can go by. But if you're like me, you're just constantly paranoid of, you know, people people taking my data. With Raspberry Pi, you can recreate a lot of the same stuff, but you control what data actually goes out. Have you tried anything like into the home automation side of that, or is it mostly still
1: just... Um, I haven't tested much. I know that uh, Yap did a session about it this this year at PS Confio. Um sp- specifically on that topic, like using uh, PowerShell and um, uh, for home automation. And I remember it was like things like controlling st- uh, st- uh, stream uh, stream deck lights and things like that, Elgato lights, that's how they are called, um, and turn on the vacuum cleaner and things like that. Um, And I think he was doing that uh, on a computer, but yeah, he wanted to move that into the Raspberry. Uh, I haven't delved much into that. Um, I did some like, I would say like a hobby part where you would have like when someone passed by, the light will turn on and things like that. But I I didn't have it like running on the home automation part. Uh, I'm I'm like you on that part. Like I don't like people controlling and stuff like that. But then yeah, I have like home assistant, and I try as much to stay off the cloud part. But I haven't done much uh, into like Raspberry for that part.
2: Always fun stuff. Um, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> if you have a raspberry pi and you haven't kind of played with this and it sounds even remotely interesting from my experience it's pretty rewarding like you said you learn a lot and it's fun and it kind of taps into that you can really be creative with what you do and it's fun to learn about it's it's nice all around
1: i think one of the things that i like the most and again yeah this goes like depending on the the person but like like i was saying um i really like when you bump into problems and you have to try and solve those uh, and for instance, like the Raspberry, for me to get to get like Linux experience was uh, a huge boost because uh, not only you are dealing with the um, Unix operating system on the Raspberry, although uh, it, you can arguably set a, set up uh, Windows, but that's another talk. Um, but you are mostly dealing with Unix systems, and the way that the file system works is different. Uh, the commands that you need to know are different. So I find that like when I got started with it, I had no almost no Linux uh, learn or no Linux experience, uh, and with the Raspberry, one of the usually things that you do is like, okay, you want to have something run when you turn on the Raspberry. Pi, how do you do that? It's and that's agnostic. Either it's a Raspberry Pi or it's an, a Linux system. Uh, you usually go into GRC R C local or things like that, but. If you have like a project that you want to work with and you need to get that experience, like dig into and try to understand how does that work, I think it's like way more rewarding than something you bump into the work and you go like, oh yeah, here I have to go look how to solve this for my company or something like that. But it, if it's something that you are doing because you want it and you like it, uh, and it's usually like a quick reward part, which is really nice.
2: Have you ever found yourself being like afraid of? doing those things that you're not familiar with because you'll be kind of like lost and clueless for a moment. Like I've find, i found myself at least fearing that kind of thing, but I find that the absolute best learning comes from whenever you push yourself to that point where you're kind of like lost and kind of having to figure it
1: all out and push your limits. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I have this sort of like uh, issue, quote unquote, which is like I start looking into something and then okay, so I'm trying to install, let's say, a RetroPie, uh, and that starts giving some errors. And I'm like, okay, so what? where are these errors? And I go Google it, uh, try to solve it, and that that brings another error. And I'm like, okay, so if I have this error, what else can I can it be? And I start looking it. And when when you, I get to a point where I'm like on a chain of events, and I, I don't know anymore like what I was looking for at first. Um, but then there are times like it just happens, and it. It's, sometimes it's hard, but like, we're like, okay, so let's stop it and let's start from scratch or something like that. But then there are the other times which is like you fix something and all of a sudden that like chain of events that you built also destroy like because you solved that part and everything starts working and that's really rewarding. Um, but yeah, definitely. like, I, But it also goes with what's your... Uh, how, how engaged are you into it? Like is this something that you really want to get it working? Is it something like no, because now I'm I'm like uh, I have to get it working. no matter what. If it's like 1, 2, 3 or four am, I have to get it working. And it's, sometimes it's as easy as you go to sleep and the next day like in five minutes you just solve it. Uh, but yeah, it happens quite a lot. but there are times like you need to to see like, okay, I need to give up or uh, I just need to get going. It depends on the sleep.
2: It's funny, your description of like, you know, you're trying to do the one thing and you get an error and you try to fix that. And that series of events that we have learned is called yak shaving, right, Jordan? Yeah. <laughs> yep. That, that very complex process to do something very simple.
0: And I yeah. thought it was all a Twitter conspiracy, but it turns out it's a whole thing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the thing. And haven't you had like the opposite? Or, I mean, it's not like the opposite, but uh, I guess it's like the similar thing, but there are times like we have, uh, we have this use case. Like uh, someone says, like it's just to do it once, and you know it's not once, so you just build a script or something. And you know, like one week after that, someone, hey, remember that script that you did? Can you run that again? Which I think it's quite familiar for all of us that on the the IT part. But don't you have like the other way around where uh, it's something that you mo- you know it's like the, it's this specific use case, but you feel like okay, i will just go to do. Uh, some PowerShell script really quick and it turns out like spending two or three hours because uh, then you can't understand why you can't create a list out of something and then you try you keep on that loop and then something that will take like five minutes to solve, you just spend like one or two hours doing the script for it for something that you know it will it will not run any anytime soon.
2: I do. <laughs> <I'm> exactly
1: <laughs> what you <need. laughs> uh,
0: Even if it's not entering production, you still want to end with the positive result.
2: I'll tell you what, I am a fan of pair programming, because I've found that it can really help not get not run into that sometimes. Like if you can have two people looking in two perspectives, the more that I do that with people, the more that I realize that one of us is seeing things wrong. It at one point in time like all the time one person is going to not be able to see everything perfectly and the other person can offer some clarifying stuff have you ever done much pair
1: programming myself yeah um n- no um so yeah that's like just, i think i started working like five years ago only so it's not that much uh but yeah when i was on the yeah, like technical support, there was no programming even, so let's not consider that one. <laughs> uh, but on the startup, um, I, it, were, it was just like four of us, and everyone had so so, so much things to do. Uh, we had like meetings, discussions, things like that, but there was not something like you'd sit up with someone for like one or two hours and go through like, let's do this way, let's do the other way. Um, then when I switched to the DevOps role... Uh, It was more like I had to do, like, heavy learning on that part because, like, it was, like, a huge switch. Uh, And that was, like, two years ago. Uh, And now, only now that I've joined this uh, I've moved to a different company recently. uh, It's, like, a whole different uh, culture and the way of working is totally different. So, yeah, that part I started doing, not not so much as pair programming, but, for instance, we spent, like, one week doing a hackathon, which was, like, uh, everyone in the same room... uh, I guess you wouldn't call it pair programming because there were a lot of us. Um, But it was like trying to get things done and it was to the point like if someone was stuck with something, uh, they would just say like, okay, so I need help. Who can help me with this? And you just start saying something and someone would say, oh yeah, that happened because maybe you have that part or that other issue. And it was so nice because it was like, in the end of the day, people feel like, okay, so uh, I have my issues. I have my problems with my code, but... Maybe if I step aside from like five minutes and try to help the other person, uh, it's a quick win for both of us. So yeah, I totally get that part, especially with like you try to go on that one road and someone tells you like, no, let's try to take a step back and uh, see the other part. And it's usually way faster. It's kind of like rubber ducking.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Rubber ducky debugging. I think that's where like the whole concept is you like explain the problem to a rubber ducky and in the process of explaining it, you kind of figure it out for yourself.
1: Yeah. Th- but that's something that I've tried to uh, improve on because there are times like when I got stuck and I got so angry, like because it seems something so basic, I go like to a colleague and start writing like, okay, so I'm trying to do this. I followed this step and this step and this step. And in the in the meanwhile, while I'm writing, I'm like, Oh yeah, but maybe I forgot this. And then I say I have to say something like, "Yeah, while I was writing this, sorry about that." But I, I think I figured it out, and then I just got it solved. So one pro tip is yeah, get a rubber duck and explain it to the to him <laughs> or to yep. it, and ninety percent of their problems go go by.
2: <laughs> yeah. And it's also it's not a negative reflection on you for not being able to solve a particular problem or for struggling with it. It's very normal. It's very yeah. uh, common. Even the people who do some of the best work still struggle and and have brain farts. We could call them. They overlook simple things. They make human mistakes. Right. It's kind of just like a human thing. Um,
1: yeah, and like like a quick comparison, uh, quite unrelated but at the same time related, like. During this uh, we, team week that I had, we also did, like, um, an escape room as a team. So you can imagine, like, I think it were, like, six people, uh, uh, six engineers working on trying to get out of a room. Uh, and there were times, like, the solution was so easy, but we were spending so much time trying to think something so complex. Uh, we, there was, like, these monitors saying, like, do you want the clue? And we were, like, yeah, please. So in the end, it was, like, we used, like, four clues, and... She the, the lady was saying like, you did spend time, some you did like some of the uh, most complicated parts quite easily, but then you got stuck on some of the basic ones and we were like, yeah, and that made me think like, okay, so, so many times like we overcomplicate things or we try to like think on something but then we like trigger this uh, overcomplicated engineering uh, modes and it's something, sometimes just something as easy as... Uh, the most easy part.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I've thought about kind of similar things lately, and I, I think that is why it helps to have like a diversity of perspectives looking at a problem. Is because if you have everyone who thinks kind of a similar way, you maybe won't get full coverage on whatever issue. Um,
1: yeah,
2: whether technical or totally. not. But it, nowadays, you're mentioning that now you're a DevOps engineer. What are you up to these days?
1: Uh, well. It's quite recent at this job, but uh, I'm mostly focused on um, storage accounts on Azure. So the background is that there is like this huge shift from on-prem to cloud, um, and there are like needed ways to interact or move data uh, for that process. and storage accounts uh, are being like the solution. so at first, and the way that I just said, like storage accounts, like uh, as uh, simple sentence is because at my first approach was like, yeah, storage account. So it just upload something, download something. What what can be the issue? Um, but yeah, so at the company where I'm at, there's like this huge structure, uh, networking, on-prem servers, uh, private servers on a public one, things like that. So there was like this huge uh, learning curve that still is, but it's mostly um, Terraform. Uh, and uh, GitLab CI/CD pipelines, um, uh, Docker. Uh, started playing around with Kubernetes. So something that seems as simple as okay, storage account. You create one. You upload. You download. There's not much to it. Uh, yeah, there is <laughs> uh, authentication issues, service principal, understanding like differences between service principle and managed identities, and things like that. Um, so yeah, mostly it's, uh, I would say, Terraform and Docker. Uh, those are our main focus. Uh, before this one, there was like this, um, I was working for, for a client, and it was mostly uh, doing Azure uh, CI/CD pipelines and uh, automating the people's workflow. Um, that involved more PowerShell than this one so far, but it's something that I expect to change. Um, I hope to introduce PowerShell here as well, because there's usually this whoa effect when you introduce something new and people see like, there's a way to do something while you're doing manual. Uh, But yeah, in the previous company that happened quite a lot. It was fun. So I I hope to do that the same again. (laughs) So
2: you're mentioning, you find that PowerShell is a decent language for automating stuff? I mean, you mentioned you're using a lot of other technologies and different pipelines and stuff, and SQL and C Sharp and stuff like that. But are are you kind of? Do you find that PowerShell is kind of good for that?
1: Um, I think PowerShell has its purpose. Um, I mean, obviously, if you you think about it, like PowerShell IoT with PowerShell, it doesn't seem like uh, any good fit. It's something fun that you do for learning. Uh, obviously, you can use that, but it's not something that you're going to probably use in production because there are more, there are better languages or more suitable ones. Um, and I think it's it goes like along with the same for almost everything. It's like you can't say uh, there was this huge debate and there always was and always will. And I hope not to offend anyone with this, uh, but it was like this huge debate. Like, uh, why are you using PowerShell if you have Bash? Bash is so much simpler, so much faster. Uh, and I got a lot of it Like when I got started, like uh, we were discussing offline. Um, I moved mostly to like Linux and things like that. And currently I'm working on a Mac. Um, and I don't know Bash. And the amount of time that I need to spend trying to understand the Bash script, it's so much longer than installing having PowerShell running and doing my own thing. Uh, especially if it's just for troubleshooting or for testing. Um, so it's not like Bash, Bash is better than PowerShell, PowerShell is better than Bash. Uh, I think it's good for automation, it has its own purpose. Uh, but for instance, there are companies where they usually rely, or they usually invest a lot in Bash scripts. And I found that if you are someone new into that world, like I am, um, and I'm also like quite new to the PowerShell part, uh, PowerShell being way more verbose, uh, it's at least personal, personal type, way 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 easier to learn and way uh, faster to escalate uh and you don't have to find like yourself from like every two minutes trying to understand what does something do with minus p minus s minus then it's like you every every command has like two or three characters and you have to like infer what, what what's the meaning for that um, but yeah like when I did, uh, on the previous company, when I did the Azure Pipelines, I relied mostly on PowerShell because it was what I, what I was used to. And the fact that I, there were modules that I could leverage from without having to write things from scratch uh, was also a huge bonus for that.
2: Yeah, I'm personally not a fan of saying PowerShell is the best solution for every problem. Um, you know, choose the right tool for you. For me, for I'm very right really similar to you. Yeah. I, I like PowerShell and know it. So whenever I use Linux systems or Mac systems, I just use the shell. I'm just comfortable and fast with it, whatever. Um, and, and the verbosity is very nice. I've found uh, that I can show PowerShell to someone who's not super familiar with the language and just knows programming basics. And they're able to see exactly what a script does. Whereas, yeah. like you're saying, with batch, you kind of have to be able to read a total different way of words. And it's it's a different part of my brain. You have to take a degree
1: for that.
0: It also comes yeah. down to what you're doing with, it, right? Because I don't think bash returns objects or returns strings. So if you're just trying to execute something, I'm, I'm fine with Bash at that point, but if you're looking to return actionable data, I just don't see that there's a comparison. It's, that's my, my opinion. I don't know, but I just think that the returning yeah. object is a big deal.
1: Yeah, and it's like uh, I can give like a quick example that happened quite recently. Um, there was this uh, use case that we had, so where we—I was doing some tests, and I had—I to uh, uh, I made a web request that returned a JSON, and I didn't have access to PowerShell because it was running on a different environment, uh, and I just wanted to query or to query that JSON file to get like a specific name, and I had to go to look into like. Uh, What is the command that you have? Which is then then there is this jq command. Uh, Then you have these uh, parameters like the minus r to or minus d to remove quotes, minus r to return like a recursive or something like that. Then you have to do like a grep, which is another totally different command that you need to know the syntax. And it was like super confusing. And I did like the same exercise. like uh, later on, like okay, but what if I do this with PowerShell and it was like uh, invoke web request pipe uh, uh, convert uh, convert to uh, or convert from JSON, and you could easily interact with the object like you at least I'm familiar with like this doesn't prove or it's not to say like uh, PowerShell is way better, but if it's something that you already know and if you are used to like specific uh, mostly with object oriented languages uh, PowerShell can you give you like a huge boost on that, and I think what you're saying is true. Like the fact that it returns objects, there are cases where it's way more beneficial than like just having strings.
2: Especially in this kind of cloud world, or for so many jobs, I found the most power f- that I get from like my proficiency in PowerShell is being comfortable with manipulating and sorting through large sets of data, and just being able to feel comfortable with. Manipulating any of that stuff, displaying it how I need to, comparing it, combining all that stuff, which uh, object-oriented language kind of really lends itself. Versus if I were having to like construct the text myself, it just gets way more complicated. Um, yeah. But I That's love important. PowerShell.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we don't. We don't have a lot of. Uh, we have a lot of bias when it comes to PowerShell on this one. So it's, I mean, Bash might be great, but it's just not going to compete for me. I, I, I'm set in my ways.
2: I tell you what, uh, wget is pretty great. curl is pretty great. Those tools are pretty great and widely used. And for some documentation, you're going to have to use curl and stuff like that. But the benefit is you can still use PowerShells like your shell, and you can call any external executable and stuff like that that you want. So you you can kind of get some benefits of both. Now, you mentioned... Uh, containers. Now, I've heard of some friends of mine learning containers through the Raspberry Pi. How did you go about learning containers?
1: Uh, well, there are two possible answers for that. <laughs> uh, the easiest one, or the one that happened like first, was uh, I would say, yeah, it was when I got like into the when I did this uh, webinar, not a webinar, but like. Uh-huh. Session with Antonino Nosentino. Um, he introduced like running uh, PowerShell on uh, Docker containers, and I think it was also like uh, SQL Server on containers. Uh, at the time, I knew like almost nothing about Docker. I know that there was like this uh, gray area where you type a command, you have something running, but it's not a virtual machine. It doesn't have an operating system, but it does what you were supposed to when you run it on the machine. So it was like. What kind of sorceries did? Um, but it was like the first introduction, uh, and then it was I think like most of the things we usually do in this in this area, which is you you have to go study and research for things like that. So it was mostly like that part, and then I was like going through the documentation trying to understand it, and then it clicked me like when there was uh, there were like Git repositories where people were using uh, Docker containers. Uh, Because it's funny because at first I was like, okay, but why do I need to have like a Docker container to run this software if I can just install it on my machine? So it took me a while to have this click, like you don't actually have to uh, pollute, quote unquote, your environment uh, with these installations and things like that for something that you're probably going to use just to test something. It might be that you're not end up using like uh, in a real world scenario. But this uh, segregation of concerns like you have uh, um, this container that has PowerShell and then you can use it or this container that has a SQL server you can connect to it and do it, your things there. Um, I think what the biggest part was like, uh, okay, but you can't have, uh, for instance, you can't have you can have a SQL server running on a Mac, but you can have it running on Linux and you, you, the containers to run Linux so it can be that you can have Containers running SQL Server on your Mac. So at the time when I was this startup, uh, I was using a Mac. Uh, and it's funny because people were saying, like, uh, yeah, you won't be working with that because you need to run SQL Server. Uh, and SQL Server only runs on Windows. And I was like, I had this, like, haha moment where I was like, no, it doesn't because you can run it on a container. And of, of, obviously, this brings uh, different issues at the time, uh, but it's it's interesting that like okay so these are the containers and is this, this world so I think to quickly answer your question was like um, I think it is try it uh, get to see like if I usually do this thing which I don't know if it's recommended or not unless uh, obviously you have to know what you are doing but generally this usually thing you say like don't copy things from the internet um, but are these parts were like you go to a GitHub repo and you like see the getting started getting started and it was like just run this docker command so i was like okay docker run minus P something minus minus volume something i was like is this going to fry my computer or not or something like that so i did some research like what is this docker run and commands like that the basic part and i got it running and i was like okay so let's dig it into like i, I see the benefits of it like how does it run uh, and let's let's try to understand it um So, this was like the introduction part. Then, when I got really interested, um, was and this is fun because I was doing again on this company using the SQL Server, and I had a Mac, an old Mac, like 2011 MacBook, uh, and I had Docker Desktop installed on it. And I was creating a database, and we were doing some performance tests, so I wanted to escalate like multiple containers. And I got to an error saying like uh, Docker uh, SQL Server just shut down with some random string error, which was like not sure what it was, because it was saying something like disk failed or something something like that. But then you go or disk, disk shut down something similar to that. And I was like, okay, but we are on containers, so there is no actually a disk. So what is it? And I remember talking to No Sentino, and it was, he helped me like a lot. We're we're digging through it. And it turned out that the issue was something as simple as the Docker volume uh, on the Docker desktop app. I had like, I think it was like 50 gigs of, of, of disk installed or being used. And when it tried to create a container and run a backup on something that's larger than that, it exceeds the, the disk space, it will just shut down. So that's uh, to make a bridge with like why I, why I got the, into blogging. Uh, if you search for that specific error, that's like the, the top result is my blog post. Which is that exact same error, and it's like it has like thousands of views compared to my like twenty or thirty views per blog post. So that's that's really nice part for like learning curve.
0: That's when you know you really found uh, a gap in in the coverage right
2: there. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, Anthony Nocentino, he's the data guy. Um, yeah, I have a question. So you mentioned. And the way you talked about it makes me think that you might have an answer here for it. So Azure storage accounts, what is one word of warning or thing to look out for for people who find themselves um, having to work with it a lot? Is there something you'd warn people about?
1: I think like the the biggest deal at this moment for me is like authentication um. Because I feel that from what I've been talking about, what I've been reading, uh, I don't know if you're familiar, but there's essentially, or you have like AD authentication and you have like SAS token authentication. And I think many people go with SAS token just because it's a token that you generate. It has some uh, uh, some expiracy date and it's uh, people think it's like super secure, uh, but it's not. it's not. I think I've think I read even documentation like they don't recommend it. And if you go to things like I was researching today, uh, if you go into things like um, Snowflake and things like that, they said like we recommend to use the service principle uh, for authentication instead of SAS token because it's more secure. Uh, so I think the thing, the two things that I spent most time on were, uh, but this is also due to like the kind of job that I have, we, where data is really sensitive. Um, th- the two things are like networking and um, the authentication part. Uh, So networking is just a whole new world if you start digging into it, because uh, as we are all familiar, like networking is uh, huge and super complicated, at least personal take on that. Um, But then there's this, uh, you, you have this option to disable public access, but that's not enough, or you have an option to disable like anonymous access, which... It's supposed to, unless you are serving something for free for anyone to go download, like a package or something like that, or an image. Uh, but then there is uh, this, there's this anonymous access and there is this um, public access. And if you disable that, you have two options. Either you specify a range of IPs and a virtual network, or you just disable that and people have to work uh, to private endpoints. And when you are working with companies that have like their own networking setups and things like that, it's not so simple, and you don't want traffic to go like through a public and things like that. So there is a lot of challenge on the network part, and for the authentication, there is like you can use service principles, or you can use manage uh, manage identities if it's something that you want to connect within Azure, and you have like guest users. So there is like each case can be a case, uh, but it's it's hard. Like if you are getting started, special like I, I I I was, and I took like a huge learning curve just to get to that point like what are the best purpose or best best use cases so I would say that if you are dealing with that as always like try it, do proof of concepts see what breaks, see what doesn't uh, talk with other people on your team uh, if you are like networking people especially uh, see with them like what, what makes sense what doesn't because most likely they have to deal with that on other services or other providers or something like that um, so I think that would be, like, the biggest use case or the biggest challenges.
2: Nice. it's good information. I can imagine there'd be some logistical problems if you have to, you know, make networking changes just to facilitate this stuff. You got to get other teams involved and start conversations and make sure you're using the right stuff, so... Yeah. Fun stuff. Um, exciting stuff. Authentication, I think, is... <laughs> At least for me, learning about it this can feel daunting, but yeah.
0: Well, the, the problem with things like authentication is no one has a, a uniform opinion. Like, you, you'll get a recommendation, this is the secure way to do it. And then you'll get an entire thread of people disagreeing on how easy it is to, to break through that. Like, it, anything security, but authentication, I think where I start, there's just no consensus on what's greatest, or it's constantly shifting.
1: Yeah, I think there, there's like this, uh, the OAuth thing that was like introduced like some years ago, which came to like I, w- I don't want to say like w- create a revolution on authentication part, but it brought like a lot of um, uh, ease on how to do that thing sort of authentication part, but it also introduced a lot of problems. So there's always like people saying, like, okay, you can just use OAuth and you can. But because it's like this one simple protocol, well, not so simple, but because it's like a well known protocol, uh, you can interact with Google, Facebook, uh, uh, LinkedIn, and things like that. But then it's like, okay, but where is actually like, and unless you really know like how authentication works, which I don't, it's like, how do, because then you have to store that information, like tokens and things like that somewhere. How do you do that? How to how do you manage that? What's the best way? Should you store it like offline? Should you store it like on prem server? Should can it be online? So there's like this a lot of caveats, like it's not that easy. <laughs> I don't like authentication. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Me neither. I learned about OAuth. It took a while because yeah. it was like confusing. It's like, oh my gosh! And honestly, if you could ask me now to explain it to you, I'd have to look up what I wrote before because but I don't it, remember.
1: You, even within OAuth, you have like this code grant flow, authentication flow, authorization flow. There's like millions of flows, and like I ended uh, the one time that I used that, I was I, I thought that I was doing something like one of the flows, and like in the middle of the process, I understood that I was like, okay, no, so now I'm not doing this one, but I'm doing the other one. And uh, that was like a junction of two different ones, which was the third one. And I was like, okay, yeah, I just leave this to someone who knows about it.
0: That's why security makes the big bucks.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But it has like the big headaches as well. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly.
2: Now we were doing some deep research, scouring the web for information. And we came across something that piqued our interest. And I personally am a Notion user, which is like, um, oh, no. how would you explain it? It's more than just a note-taking app. It is a document creation. I don't know efficiency. How would you yeah. explain it?
1: Notion is like, how do you put? Yeah, it's a. I feel it's like a database, but not like the traditional, like for the IT, not for the uh, what we in IT people are used to, like databases. But it's like a re- it's a relational database, um, but it's not that you have like in SQL and things like that. Uh, it's a database in the sense that you have uh, each page is considered to be like a database, um, and within that we have you have pages where it can have markdown things, uh, bullets, tables, and things like that. So for the IT people, I would say like think about uh, SQL Server table. And inside that, you have like uh, you don't have any type. It's a page which can be wherever it is inside it. Um, Notion is really nice and it's really powerful when you know how to work with it. And I think that's the biggest the biggest issue. Like it has such a deep learning curve. Um, I've tried to use it more than once. Uh, I ended up like giving up most of the time like because okay so let's do a hobby tracker and you create a page or you clone a template and you start working on it and then something suddenly stops working and you don't know why and then you go like okay but maybe we can do is to create like a financial report uh, for every month and then it starts see like but when you do that you can like reference other uh, months you can do sums easily and things like that um it it has like its benefits and really good points, and I think I think I know where you are going with why you're mentioning Notion, uh, but I think it's it's a, it has some good use cases, uh, and that, there are people that uh, it's it's a, it, it was quite fascinating for me when I got starting with Notion, because there are people that use no, or use Notion as their uh work, their, as their job, it's like they're living, they're like they're, they're bu- the way they make bucks, and a lot of bucks. <laughs> Uh, just by doing uh, either templates which they sell, or uh, doing being like consultants to companies that they want to organize things like that. Um, and one of the reasons why Notion is so hard and but also so powerful, I think it goes like to you have to understand how relations work between that. Uh, and I don't, I won't go into details about that. And also you have like formulas, and once you go into the formulas world, it's like. Um, your creativity is like the limit. I've seen people doing like trackers or progress bars within formulas, uh, things changing colors according to that. And that, there is this um, this channel like from a guy called Thomas Frank, uh, which is like the notion guru or one of the notion guru. And he had like this progress tracker where, or where you would like have uh, for a formula. And the formula was like, it's, it's not like a programming language, but it has, like, these ints ands and ors and things like that. And it was so chained. It was, like, one huge string, which was, like, I think if you try to separate it, it was, like, 60 lines of code. Or do you keep to six lines of code? And just to think, like, how we managed to do that, uh, I think it did something like doing do it in JavaScript and tr- try to map it into the notion uh, relational uh, language. It's, like, mind-blowing the way that it achieved that.
2: yeah. It's interesting. Um, I haven't gone too into it. Now, like uh, after the research, I found that you did a little Steam game tracker. Um, Yeah. Did you learn a lot in that process and did you forget it immediately afterwards?
1: No, I've learned a lot. And it's super funny because when I got started with it, I was like, okay, so how can I, um, because there is this, Notion works, with something called integrations. And there are these private integrations where um, apps you can create for yourself and you have it like running. Um, And what it does is like it generates an ID and things like that. And you go to your Notion and you go into the integrations and you invite that integration. But because it's integration that it's used only by yourself, so you are the one using the, the integration that you created. You don't have to deal with any sort of authentication. It's just something that you go there, you add, and then you have like on your home server or something like that. You have your app running and doing whatever you want to do with the integration. But then I got like I did that as a POC uh, to see like if I could fetch things. So the whole idea, just to give an overview for the Steam Game Library, is that it is a web app that fetches information from uh, the Steam game library or the steam api and uh, you give your username or user id and it just auto populates an ocean table with uh the all the games that you have it adds the cover for the that game uh it has it adds the progress like how many achievements achievements have you done um how many are left what's the progress for that and then you you can go into each game and you categorize like is it something that you are playing you are not playing so this is one of the strong, uh, what I feel like is strong notion parts, which is you can create a dashboard uh, and you can see like, you can filter and see like, okay, these are the games that I want to play next. And w- when you want to change that, you go to that table and you change from like uh, waiting to uh, in progress or working and it automatically updates the dashboard. Uh, that's a super power- powerful part. So when I got it working on my side, I was like, okay, so this is nice, this is nice but I want to make it public. Hands authentication. <laughs> so, and how does the authentication part works? Oh, wow! <laughs> so there was this like, I had to go through the, the uh, Notion API documentation and try to understand how does that work. Um, and what I ended up with was, okay, now I have it working and I need to host it somewhere. Uh, and I went through like, okay, so where should I do this? And I started with uh, the Heroku app uh, website but then it changed to the that the, their free plan was going to stop and I was having issues deploying that. So I just went, okay, i go with what I know and I'll go with Azure. So the first implementation was like having a SQL database, which was like overkill for that, uh, just to have one table with the user ID, uh, their app token or their token encrypted, uh, and things like that. Um, and I was storing all of that information. And then I had uh, a lot of... Uh, um, Event hubs or service buzzes, sorry, just to have like these triggers. Like whenever someone uh, created an account, I had an event uh, event hub trigger, which would trigger like from hour to hour um, to go look into see if there's something to update and update it. So this involved like uh, SQL Server, C Sharp, uh, and then like service buzz and event buzz. Uh, and that was really funny. But what wasn't so funny was that. Although I tried to go with like the lowest uh, implementation, the last, the one that costed less. My SQL server ended up costing like 30 euros for the first month, and I was like, "Oh God!" <laughs> so what I had to do is like I ditched that implementation and just move it into the storage account. So everything was like encrypted because the encryption goes like from end to end within Azure. Uh, the communication between the service and the storage account was encrypted, so I, I had I didn't have like this issue with uh, secrets going through and encrypted and things like that. And it went from like 30 euros to I think it was like one euro a month or something like that.
0: Can I use this to shame me into productivity? Like if it checks in, you say it checks in every hour. Like the second check in in a row where it sees I've been in lo- online for both those times, like pop up messages like, "Hey, why don't you uh, walk your dog, get some exercise."
1: Um, I, I don't think that's like the, the purpose for it. So the way that I did it was to have it like <laughs> every hour to go check on it, but there's like, uh, because the, the reason why I did that is that because they don't have WebWorks because if they did, it would have WebWorks integration. It would be much easier than when someone added a new game, it would fetch that information. Um, I think you can do that. Like go, go walk your dog if you want to. <laughs> I just don't think that that's the purpose. But I think where it's where where notion shines and if you go to like I usually use the reddit and if you go to the notion subreddit there is like this uh, this um, tag which is like a showcase and you see people doing like amazing things with with notion like and people there are people that say that it boosts their productivity and they have it automated in such a way that like every day they just open notion and they see like okay this is all that I have to do today this is what I, is do and when you move something from one side, it automatically disappears from that. So it really shines on that part, but the amount of effort that you have to put into that, I think it's like the, the biggest, at the same time, it's like the biggest downside for that.
2: I feel like for me, productivity type stuff I use as a distraction, you know, like getting my whole thing in order, I
1: use as its own form of distraction.
0: Productivity is your, uh, is your time waster.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've been on this hunt to try to get like this productivity part. Like, what is the best app or best way to do it? Or best way, to, best workflow. And I've tried like Notion. Uh, Obsidian is another one that is super powerful, but also super Markdown complex. Files, right? Yeah, and it has like the relation parts, which is I've seen videos on YouTube people doing like PhD working with Obsidian, like, and they just click something and they have like this graph. With all the references, yeah, it's super mind blowing. But then you go like, I started your work, using that on work, and I was like, okay, so it, these are the Terraform commands that I use, and that I just with that. And having that there, or having that on a, like a, a text file or, and opening it on VS Code would be exactly the same, the same way. So mm-hmm. it then starts to get like daunting to the point like, okay, but if I want to leverage on it, I need to like invest into learning this, but. It's a productivity app that will take me a lot of time. So I want to be productive. So like, it's the dilemma.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I just pretty much use it for taking notes and using just the simple, the ability to create a page and have a link to another thing and kind of take some of the stuff I learn at work and how an organization does things and kind of like apply it to my personal life just a little bit. But yeah, it's I'm not into it as much as some are. Is
1: there a powershell module for it do you know I've tried to look for it but i don't think there is i think i don't want to be mistaken but i think i found something but it wasn't fully working and i think one of the reasons was that notion because like i start i looked into notion like i think it was 2 years ago or something like that and it was like it it already exists for like 5, five or 6 years something like that uh, but in, like, these last couple of years, uh, it's kind of exploded in growth. And they've been involve- evolving, introducing, like, uh, features and things like that at a so fast rate. Just to give an example, like, when I was doing this Steam API, uh, I did it in C Sharp. And there is this C Sharp um, nugget that has inter- inter- uh, that works with it. And while I was developing, there was, like, this major notion uh, um, upgrades on their API part. And basically, my code stopped working because there was a property that was not being mapped. So even within like their growth is being so fast, I think that's like one of the biggest reasons why that module is not quite uh, working or wasn't quite working. Because even for modules like or nuggets uh, in C sharp that were quite used, it took them some time just to try to upgrade it. Uh, for those that uh, doesn't use it that much, it might take a way more time. Jordan. But yeah, I, I really like, like uh, dashboards and things like that. So Notion is cool for that.
2: Now, in the PowerShell world, what do you, you hear any uh, dashboard stuff? Anything yeah. universal?
1: <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> it was a nice one. Uh,
2: oh no, that hurt me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was really good. Uh, so <laughs> Yeah. So in case you don't know, <laughs> there is this PowerShell universal module. Um, yeah, it, it was really nice. I started, that was one of the first modules that I used in PowerShell. Uh, and that's some of, the, some of the content that pulled me into the PowerShell world mostly. And if you go see like sessions that I did and presentations that I did, I would say, I don't say like all of them, but many of them rely on using PowerShell Universal. And it transitioned for being, uh, what was it called? PowerShell Dashboard, I think, to PowerShell Universal Dashboard. And then it's now PowerShell Universal. So this is like super complete, amazing uh, module where you can have like dashboards, APIs, um uh, with endpoints and things like that, and automations for our background jobs to run on that. Um, so yeah, I've invested some time on that, and I did ended up trying to use it on the Raspberry Pi. And there was like these, and this just like to to show up like how how community is so awesome and how people are so awesome. Uh, when I tried to do that on the Raspberry Pi. There was this issue with ARM. Um, I think it was ARM7 or something like that, which was what Raspberry Pi used. And Adam Driscoll, which is the owner of the PowerShell Universal, I chat with him like back and forth. Like, okay, so this is not working. Uh, I know it's not a priority, but it's like it's fun because it's a fun project having a PowerShell Universal running on a Raspberry Pi. Is there any way to get it working? And he was like troubleshooting that with me, like, okay, but uh, what if you run this command? Uh, It's not working because you are trying to do this. And it ended up being something on, like, the... um, I think it was, like, Docker itself, the image that he was underlying on. Uh, Because if I run it directly on the... the, If I extracted the binary and tried to run it, it would run, but I wanted to run it as a Docker container. Um, So it was, like, really nice to see, like, this interaction. Uh, And I think if it's still now it's still being deployed into the Raspberry or ARM versions uh, that can run on the Raspberry. So yeah, one cool project that you can do um, is actually trying to have Universal Dashboard running on the Raspberry Pi. Because if you think about it, it's like if you want to run like a dashboard or if, if, you, want run, if you want something running like 24-7, the Raspberry Pi is like an amazing chest. Unless you have like a OM server, or a small computer that you want to have it running like 24-7. Raspberry Pi consumes like 8 watts or something like that. I did the math at the time. It was like, per year, it would consume me like 7 euros uh, in with the rate at Portugal for the electricity. Um, so it was like super inexpensive. And if you think about it, you can have it like you having a dashboard to show you like uh, what are the status of your servers. Uh, if you can and if you want, you might connect it into like your dev environments for for work, and have something running. Like you don't need to have it running on your machine. Uh, you can do it like the automation part. Uh, you can also integrate with that, um, and it's really powerful what you can do. Uh, so, for instance, in my in my case, I'm not using a Raspberry Pi anymore because I've upgraded to like a home lab. But I have one Docker instance running Partial Universal. Uh, it's running like twenty four seven. And every hour, it's running like a script to fetch information and store it on a database, which is running on another container. Um, so yeah, why the containers part is so nice. Um, but it's like this integration, and it's so easy to set up like the PowerShell Universal and have it working with uh, making the, the calls. So I have a, a job s- uh, scheduled to run like every hour, which calls an API which is deployed on the Universal Dashboard that makes all the requests and get information, and use DBA tools to send that into the database. So this is like something uh, so powerful, and if you think like every of that can run, it could all be running on my Raspberry Pi. I've tried that, and it works. Uh, I also ended up trying, I did a session, I don't totally recall to which user group it was, but I know it's online on YouTube, uh, when I used like PowerShell Universal and SQL Server on the Raspberry Pi, all on the same Raspberry Pi. So I had this uh, SQL Server Edge running on the Raspberry at the time it came out. Uh, So I had the same same that I have on my home lab. I had it running on the Raspberry Pi. So if you think about it, like on one Raspberry with one gig, I think it was the one gig module. I'm lying. The one gig worked but struggled. I have like one with four gigs. So having it running SQL Server, PowerShell Universal, having it from our, from every hour to run a command that goes into the web API that makes requests uh, and then call it a DBA tools module to write it into, into the same SQL database all in a $35 credit card computer. So it, I think these points like you don't need much money to like start learning programming and that's the really goal for the Raspberry Pi, which is also why I love it so much. It makes really uh, effort, effortless or so to speak, to get started with it.
2: That's freaking awesome.
1: <laughs> Too much um, information.
2: <laughs> no, I think that's perfect. That's exactly what we're kind of talking about with this Raspberry Pi. On the low end, you can get started running some PowerShell and doing some simple things, you know, scheduling some tasks, whatever. Um, but on the high end, you can do wild stuff where you're dealing with SQL, you have a fancy um, dashboard that you can look at and interact with and do really anything for you like you're mentioning, on a very inexpensive, affordable computer that is not going to cost you a ton of electricity if you're early on in your career and don't have expendable income. Um, but I have a question to kind of dig into this because you mentioned a developer background, <laughs> went to college for it and all that, and you've mentioned you wrapped a a C library and C Sharp and, and
1: some stuff it's that would feel really... But right. yeah, it wasn't me, but someone did. <laughs> oh, okay,
2: okay. But you know, you, you have a comfort yeah. level that I think a lot of people who PowerShell is first language maybe don't have. Why did you end up settling on using uh universal and creating a dashboard with that in PowerShell? Was it just how easy and functional and the time to run? Was it uh just a little interesting project? Maybe there were other solutions you considered, or why was it such a great fit for you?
1: Um i came across like multiple times um where i just wanted to have like i have so the the mentality workflow is something like i want to have something running 24/7 uh the first step to do that could be uh doing a c sharp program or uh again using powershell to run some commands and but then i would have to wrap it into like rc local or something like that to uh, or a cron job uh but if you are like me and you're not used to Linux, to the, the Unix world, Cron job might have some caveats. Uh, and when you w- want to run like that, you need to specify that you want to run PowerShell itself, and then pass the script as a parameter for that. So it starts to complicate like quite fast. Uh, and then on top of that, like okay, but so for my use case, it might be that overcomplicated. But it's what worked for me at the time. Okay, but I want to have like. a um, Then I want to have a web API running twenty four seven. I want to be able to query that web API uh, with the way that I'm used to from like when I was uh, doing software development, working with APIs. But if you think about it, like C sharp, uh, you have like this uh, bootstrap, but you have to dependency injection, uh, create the controllers, create the services, create the data access layer, things like that. That could be that would be something that would be feasible if it's something like super complex that I wanted to escalate or make it available, publicly available, and I would have to think, like, how to uh, define that. But for something that I w- that started as a, a side project, as a hobby, and I just want to, like, grab information from some endpoint and store it on a SQL database or store it somewhere. Um, so the transition was like, okay, but is there something that can do all of it? And then, yeah, in this case, like, PowerShell Universal can do all of it. So PowerShell Universal solved me the part, like, I don't have to run current jobs. All I have to do is, like, on the RC local or something, uh, just make, uh, make sure that I have Docker to start whenever the, the Raspberry Pi boots. Uh, and that's only an issue if, like, power goes out or something like that, because otherwise Docker is constantly running. Then you have, like, uh, okay, so I have it running. I can schedule jobs to run on it. So it runs, like, every hour. Uh, what about the APIs? Do I need to create a C Sharp? No, there's a tab there. Which makes it so like it's so effortless to create like an endpoint. You just go to that tab and you say like you want to create an endpoint. You specify what's the path for the endpoint, and you just write PowerShell script to do whatever you want. Obviously, this could not, uh, this wouldn't work if you want to have like some usually high complex uh, object dealing that could be easily easily done with C sharp. But for the use case and because I wanted to invest in like learning PowerShell, that solved me that case. So I solved like three issues with one app or one software. So Docker running, uh, I just had to make sure it always starts when the Raspberry Pi boots. Then I have the API and, um, and the, um, the, the cron job, or the equivalent to the cron job running, all on PowerShell Universal. So it just bootstrapped me quite a lot. Nice. Yeah, it's cool to
2: hear that perspective.
1: If I can, like really fast one another example. The session that I did this this year at PS Confu was also about DVA tools and PowerShell and the PowerShell Universal. So and the use case that I and this was like I never had to deal with something like this in the production environment, but it was like a proof of concept, so to say, like what you can do. And I think one of the coolest things that it was able to do was, like you could have one endpoint or you could have a cron job or a key one to the cron job, a scheduled job that every time would ping a database and would output that into a JSON file. And that would have like a dashboard showing like what's the latency and things like that. But then within all within the same app, you could have multiple things. Like you could select which database you want to back up uh, and back, back it up, then restore it. Uh, and you could have like, I did uh, one of the parts was like, Let's say that you want to perform like load testing or you want to create multiple instances for your developers. You could just go into one slider and let's say like you wanted to create 10, 20, 30, and you just press one button and it'll create like 30 instances of the SQL server uh, with backup that or with the backup that you specified and it will get like all the databases with the same environment. So everyone would have the, the same data set. Uh, and then when you didn't want, you just go like to the zero and you press like destroy or something like that, and you could stop all the containers. So again, like other, many other things, like creativity is your limit, but it's super super powerful, and you don't have to deal with things like JavaScript or Node.js or web web interface, which is something like I I like to see but I don't like to touch <laughs> uh, CSS HTML. You can do that, which is quite nice. If you saw if you see like chris lemer did uh, some integration with the powershell universal like you can now have teams so she did some sort of magic with another person she asked help from on discord and they just like bootstrapped you have like dozens of teams now built in with the partial universal and it's super super cool to see that honestly
2: we've covered <laughs> so much very powerful stuff um like the amount of code required to produce something amazing and beautiful, whether that just be interacting with a, a Raspberry Pi normally or creating a beautiful, amazing uh, dashboard that does all kinds of fancy stuff. You know, it's all possible with this language that we were mentioning earlier verbose, easy to pick up, powerful. Love yeah. to hear it. Definitely. Now, Jordan. Do you have any questions, anything consistent? Maybe a few prepared, selected (laughs) questions that we maybe ask other guests?
0: They say uh, consistency is key. And I do happen to have uh, three questions, Uh, each more challenging than the last. Oh. Uh, So so the first one, uh, what is one time something went wrong while on the job? How did you handle it, and what did you learn from it?
1: uh yeah like i mentioned like i don't have much uh experience like i have like four five years experience and if we exclude like technical part and the beginning of other say like four almost like three uh but i think there are some funny things that happened uh not so much on the production side actually there was one in production that was quite funny because we were dealing with this customer and they were the ones saying like you have to do like everything. We want to migrate everything into Terraform and you have uh, move it into Terraform. No one sh- touched anything without being uh, through Terraform. No one goes into the portal and change things. And I was like, okay, that's super nice to hear. I want to do that as well. So like, I love automation. I love consistency. Uh, so I want to be able to uh, keep, sure, keep sure or uh, be sure that everything is consistent when we run it. And there was this time like they had also their IT department and they were the ones, so we had this pipeline uh, to deploy things into production. It goes from dev to production. And there was like these infrastructure part. and there was, they had the need to escalate. I think it was like a um, uh, service app or something like that. They had to escalate it to premium, but on the Terraform side, it was still like standard. And the cool, the, the funny part was like, I wasn't the one to actually deal with it because I did say like, Okay, so we agree on that. It's not my responsibility if something goes south because we are doing it consistently. And I said, "Like, yeah, yeah, sure. That's that's the that's the use case." So one of the the, the people on the IT part actually escal- escalated the the app service to production to uh, premium. Uh, I think it's like one of the highest tier because there's like, like there was like UG meant. and then there was some error that they needed to fix and they fixed on the codes on, on uh, Git on Git parts, but they didn't change the Terraform part. And they were in such a hurry just to get it into production, they just send it all through, and they didn't notice that the Terraform part uh, because this, this was the customer that ran the pipeline. Uh, they didn't notice that the Terraform part was going to downgrade from premium to standard. And so it, that happened and they were like, why is it so slow? Why is it not getting, why are we getting so much file requests? And at first, they was like, Daniel, what happened? And I was like, um, yeah, let me see. Then I was like, yeah, why is it that it changed from premium to standard? And they had this like, oh, moment. Like they were the ones saying that it has to go through Terraform and they wanted to be consistent and one touches it on Azure. But then they were the ones messing it up, going to like standard part. So that was one of the cases. Another one, which is really fast, it's also funny, but it wasn't so critical. Was that we we're moving from Jira to uh, Azure DevOps, and I found this uh, migration tool which would you specify like your token for the for Jira, and then it will fetch and get all the tickets from there, and then you could import it into Azure DevOps. And then I found this PowerShell module which was VS Team, um, and I did import everything into DevOps. Uh, Azure DevOps and then when we, we had this prefix with the number of the ticket in Jira, and we wanted to remove that and I did the script to like go through all, all of the tickets and do that but I forgot I think it was like one of the rege- uh, regex expression I forgot one of the characters which I don't recall what it was and it just streamed way more than it should. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like oops. <laughs> Good thing was that I still had the backup, so I just deleted everything from Azure DevOps and imported it again. So that this is why import, uh, backups are so important.
2: <laughs> it's a good lesson.
1: Yeah, <laughs> definitely. But, like, Double-check, triple-check your regex expression.
0: All right, a uh, second question. I hope you're ready for this because it gets pretty intense. Uh, with the knowledge you have now, What's one tip you would give your younger self when you first started in IT?
1: Um, I mean, I w- it would be definitely like don't go to technical consulting or technical support. <laughs> um, I think the biggest one, which has cost me the most, like to learn, but it's 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 not even like technical, technically related. It's like you're, and you hear a lot of people saying these, but it's kind of like, you don't usually, you usually bypass that and think like it don't, doesn't apply to you. Like your job will be there tomorrow. So there was like this huge phase where I had, um, I ended up having like a burnout when I was on the, the, the startup company, which is like, everything was so demanding. It was really nice. And I got like super passionate and was doing such amazing, cool things. But then I was, like, demanding so much uh, from myself uh, and to myself. Like, I want to do it, and I it has to be good. And we were talking about, like, SQL Server optimizing queries. And it was, it was like, it query it was taking, like, 50 seconds, and you wanted to load that into, like, 10 seconds or even less because it was, like, huge data, and you want to work with that. And th- But then you didn't have the knowledge. So it was, like, super exhausting. Uh, and I think, like, the 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 advice would be like take it easy like your job is there tomorrow um you don't have to learn everything at once um and also uh definitely like get the rubber duck because talk to it and try to see things through <laughs> but yeah, it's, i think the biggest one the, the key takeaway would be like your job is there tomorrow um your family is more important than your job so yeah
0: that's a fantastic one. I think, uh, easy, easy to lose early on. Yeah. yeah.
2: And as you describe it, I can almost feel myself slipping into <laughs> that type of pattern. Cause it, it's, a, it's something you got to kind of fight against. You got to remind yourself that like you're saying, if there's a lot of things that need to be done, that's going to take some time and that's okay. It's not your fault that you need to take on physically to make up for all the work. You just, you know, pace it out. And, uh, Yeah. It can be hard for our brains, at least my brain, to think about a large task with a ton of small steps. Um, so like for me, writing it out a lot of times helps me to kind of break it into steps I can actually take without feeling like overwhelmed and like, "Oh my gosh, my problems are too big."
1: Yeah. Oh, and definitely another one like really fast, and it's like even before starting is like, even if you' studying or something like that, draw, doodle, sketch like the amount of times that you can solve problems just by writing and creating like small diagrams. It's, it's enormous.
0: It's good feedback. I think my dog has stopped barking. I can unmute
1: myself. Uh, it might be the dog on the other on, uh from my neighbor, actually. I don't know. You might hear that. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, uh, my
0: wife just got home. My dog is okay. uh, <laughs> her mind up there. I, I think question. the
2: listening and is <laughs> excited. <laughs> He was very excited, but
0: <laughs> like that's great advice. He was just a champion. <laughs> but what are your three favorite modules?
1: Uh, I think after this talk, I I don't need to say them. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, definitely. Like, uh, I mean, it's it's actually hard to define like three. When I was thinking about it, it was like, yeah, but I haven't used partial that much. Like, why? Which module do I really like? But yeah, then like. DBA tools, uh, because not only the module itself, but uh, because I haven't used it that much, but also like the community behind it and being so uh, close to some of the people that work on that and see like the progress Uh, and the stories that you see on Twitter, like people saying, I'm migrating database, it took like, usually took like one day, two days, now it takes 10 seconds, and I can migrate like five times faster and things like that. It's really nice to see and gets you motivated to like, yeah, this is what we do with PowerShell. It's not that you can't do it other things, but it's like nice to see when it's something that you usually use. Um, and then, yeah, PowerShell universal because it's one of the ones that got me started with the, the PowerShell and the Raspberry parts. And then I'm kind of divided between like PowerShell IoT because it's one that I got into and I got into being a maintainer for that. And unfortunately due to life circumstances, I stopped touching that as much as I wanted to. Uh, So that's like on pause still, but it's one of the modules that got me, it's the module that got me into PowerShell, and especially the Raspberry. But I was divided into that and the VS team, which is quote-unquote, I don't want to undermine it, but it's like a simple module to interact with Azure DevOps. Um, It seems like simple because it's, again, PowerShell. It just like get VS team work item, you specify the number and you get all the information for the work item. And that boosts me uh, a lot within like the previous company when automating things. So the integration like moving from Gyro to Dev to the Azure DevOps I did it like in one afternoon uh, and people were, that's like the whole effect I was mentioning before. Like people were like, I thought it was going to take like one or two days at best and I was like, yeah, but it's PowerShell. It's powerful. It's powerful. <laughs> so yeah, I think those are like three, three and a half, that's three, three and a half. I'm bending the rules here. That was good.
0: <laughs> well, Daniel, I'm not sure if uh, you've, you're following. Sometimes someone is so good at something that transcends uh, into other aspects. Uh, one common example that we see a lot is like uh, Kevin Martin is the Michael Jordan of curling. Right, So it, maybe people aren't familiar with, with uh, curling, but by comparing Kevin Martin to Michael Jordan, you get an idea of how good Kevin Martin is at the sport of curling, the greatest sport of all time. Uh, but what I'm here to tell you is Michael Jordan is the Andrew Plaw of basketball. That's how good he is at showing this product. And we get the privilege to sit back and watch this master of his craft just spin excellence all right take it away andrew
2: you brought michael (laughs) jordan into this man (laughs) all right yeah that's a a fair assessment um thank you to our lovely audience do you like powershell learning growing taking advantage of one of the most fun programming languages in the world if you've liked what you've heard today you can give us a like on youtube leave us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice whatever you're listening to we're there right now you're listening give us five stars um, you can email us at powershell at PDQ.com and you can tweet us at at powershell pod. Um, we love to hear feedback. We've heard some great things lately. Really appreciate the emails. No tweets, though. I mean, what's up with that? Hit us up on the tweets. Um, thank you so much to our listeners for listening. Thank you so much to our lovely guest, Daniel. Thank you to Jordan for the amazing shill introduction. I mean, we're taking it to the next level here. Um, you got to support that people.
1: Thank you very much for taking me, and it's quite lovely, like, what you've been building so far, and the fact, like what, like we were saying, I was quite nervous, more nervous than what, when I am like, uh, presenting, but the fact we were so chill, and I didn't get by the time, I thing. and you two have, like, super strong, cool vibes, and, like, passion of talking about it, and we can see, like, your bromance is really cool. <laughs> 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 yeah, but it's really, a really chill environment. I was like, okay, it's almost nine now. It's super cool. I, I didn't get by the time passing. And thank you for this opportunity.
0: Thank you. That's a that's a high praise. And I think bromance is an excellent exit. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the PowerShell Podcast with your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Floff. They are cunning, capable, agile, flexible. The PowerShell Podcast is a production of
1: bdq.com.